Okay, so I briefly work for the city of San Francisco. And my boss hates me with the passion. And I know this because she tells everyone that will listen that she hates me with a passion. So her supervisor, my boss's boss, decides that we all need to go out to lunch to clear the air. And I don't want to go. And my boss doesn't want to go. But you don't do what you want to do at work. So I walk over to the place, the rendezvous, the green zone, the sandwich spot. And I wait for them to arrive. And waiting and looking. I realize I've made a rookie mistake because I see my boss walking toward the spot with her boss. Walking and talking and walking and talking. And when they finally arrive from the gleam of triumph, the joy in my boss's eyes, I know that this lunch has just transformed from one person that hates me to two. Today in Snap Judgment, WNYC Studios, we proudly present Belly of the Beast. Amazing stories directly from the firing line. My name is Lynn Washington. Check, please, when you're listening to Snap Judgment. Now then, for our first story on the Belly of the Beast episode, Paul Templer. He grew up in Zimbabwe, and when he was in his 20s, Paul started working as a safari guide. To him, it was a dream job. And one of his favorite things was taking tourists out into the Zambezi River on something that he and fellow safari guides called the Royal Drift. Snap Judgment. And the idea was the clients get into the canoe. There's three seats, one in the middle, one in the front, one in the back. And their job is just to sit back, relax, and just enjoy being paddled down the mighty Zambezi River. You're in a nomada of canoes. You're going down the Zambezi River. Just ahead of you, you've got Victoria Falls, the mist coming up off it. You're surrounded by some of the most incredible flora and fauna, just the trees, the birds, the bugs, the animals. It's just beautiful out there. Loved it, truly loved it. It was mandatory when we took clients out that we were armed. So I would have a gun and I would usually have um, a hunting knife with me too. Because there's your use, the crocodiles, the hippos. There's snakes, scorpions. Mosquitoes, lion, elephants, buffalo. One time we came across this, this guy who ran the safari camp and we were talking about some of the huge crocs that we had seen. It turned out that they'd been having something of an issue with crocs. They'd been attacking and eating some of the local villages and so they'd started trying to trap some of the crocs and There was one croc that kept on breaking their traps because it was too big. Ultimately, they managed to catch and destroy the croc. When they opened him up, there was almost the full body of one of the people who had been missing, but then there were bits and pieces of quite a few others. But 
what was strange, and I'm going to sound a little bit Looney Tunes here, the biggest danger for me when I was taking Safari was how were my clients going to react? Animals are incredibly tuned into the environment in so many ways. If there's someone with a lot of angst on a safari, if you had a client who was really scared, it was almost like it was a magnet for mayhem. We're going to draw to us what we're afraid of. I started as a safari guide when I was 22. And just a few years later, I opened my own safari company. It was awesome. We had our, our Land Rover and all our new equipment. It was just so freaking exciting. So we'd get the clients, and then it was time to give a safety talk. And the safety talk could be quite tricky because you didn't want to scare everyone. I'd say, listen, hippos are vegetarian, so they're not seeing you as a prospective male. But you needed to make sure that they understood that out there in the wild, we were the intruders and that there was always a chance that things could go horribly wrong. In Africa, hippos kill more people than any other animal. So it was just another one of those perfect days in Africa. And this was the inaugural trip. Everyone was seemingly having a pretty good time. They were just munching on their snacks and sipping on their drinks. Everything was going swimmingly well. And uh, was crossing this channel when the back of my canoe just rose up off the water and then ever so gently tipped over, spilling us into the river. I'd been attacked by hippos before and usually if they hit you, it's like this thud and you're bumped out of the canoe into the river. But on this particular trip, he was this incredibly large male hippo. And the behavior was odd. It's like snapping at the water, which again is unusual hippo behavior. So that was one of those ah, crikey moments. We weren't far from the shore, so other than scaring the heck out of a few of us, he didn't really do that much damage to us. Word had spread like wildfire that this first trip of this new safari company had ended up with us getting attacked by hippos. So yeah, when I got back from that trip, I shared a house with a few fellow guides, and they see me walking up the driveway, and I'm soaking wet and what have you. They ripped me mercilessly. They were like, way to go, Templar. Never going out with you. What was kind of interesting is the three guides who were sitting on the porch that afternoon making fun of me, all three of them ended up having run-ins with that very same hippo. A couple of weeks later, another group's on safari, only this time the attack's a little more intense. A couple of weeks later, another safari with another guide, a little more intense. And the intensity of the attacks ratcheted up. Up to a point you felt bulletproof. But a few months later, I can remember sitting in a boat with a friend of mine. We were talking about, hey, you know how when you've used up all your lives, and we both had got to that point where, where you start doubting yourself. I remember waking up on the day in question, and things just seemed, I wouldn't say heavy, but there was definitely an edge to everything. I, I'd had weird premonitions to the extent that I'd gone out and figured out my life insurance, I'd got extra ammunition. I, like, I just knew all was not well. On that safari, the trip we were going on, there were three guides paddling. All three of them were apprentices. 
There was Ben and Evans. And then Mike came along. He was in a little one-man red kayak. Um, we called it his little crocodile bait kayak. So we're just drifting down this narrow jungle line channel. It, it was dusk, and the world had that, that soft backlight that is just mesmerizing. We could see the top of the heads of a lot of male hippos dotted around all over the place. All it takes is an elephant to step out from the jungle and stand there with its huge ears fanning back and forth as you drift by to, to just make it an exceptional experience. So I remember us all just sitting there and taking a moment to soak in all that peace and tranquility when poof, there's this huge like thud behind me. And I turned just in time to see Evans, the paddler sitting in the back of the canoe that was behind us, flying through the air before he splashed to the river. The boat was so high up that I could see the top of a hippo beneath it my mind sprung straight to crisis mode. First things first, I needed to make sure that everyone got to safety. Evans, the one guide, was now in the river. Ben, get everyone to safety! There was a cluster of rocks nearby, so he and Max started doing that. Evans, hang in there, I'm coming to get you! So I'm paddling towards Evans. Evans, come! Turning the boat, trying to get it into position, leaning over to grab a hold of him. And our fingers almost touch. It's like this made for Hollywood moment where I'm leaning, he's leaning, and then everything just went dark. A few very long seconds ticked by as I tried to figure out what was going on. You see, from my, my waist up, I wasn't dry, but I wasn't wet either, not like my legs were. And there was this incredible pressure crushing down on my lower back with my arms pinned to my sides. I can remember struggling to, to break free and it being like slimy, cavernous, and strangely quiet. I managed to move one hand around a little bit and I felt the bristles on a hippo's snout. I was head first, up to my waist, down the hippo's throat. Huh. Um, I guess I must have been uncomfortable or wedged down his throat and all. So the hippo lets me go and I burst to the surface. I take a lung full of fresh air, come face to face with Evans, the chap I'm trying to rescue. And I'm like, we got to get out of here. His eyes are like saucers as he struggles to stay afloat. And I was just moving in for the classic lifesaver's hold when wham, I'm hit from below. Once again, I'm up to my waist down the hippo's throat, though this time my legs are trapped, my hands are free. One of the clients watching said it was like watching a vicious dog trying to rip apart a ragdoll. He would throw me up into the air and I'd do this crazy sort of half twist and then he would catch me and bite down. And each time he bit down, I, it was so hard, I thought for sure he was going to chomp me in half. When he would go underwater, I'd hold my breath. When we were on the surface, I'd suck in air. And all the while, I'd hold on to these tusks that bore through me just so that my flesh didn't tear so much when he shook me about. But when I did that and I sucked in air, there was the smell of rotten eggs. The hippo was thrashing me about and I was desperately trying to get to my revolver. 
Only I couldn't get a hold of the gun. Then things got really quite surreal. The hippo just went and dove for deep water and, and everything just went still. So I'm pinned inside his mouth and I remember lying at the bottom. We were probably in about six feet of water. And I'm looking up and all I can see are the different hues of green and yellow and I can see the sunlight shimmering on the water surface. And I just remember thinking, like, huh, I wonder who can hold their breath the longest. Find out when Snap Judgment returns the belly of the beast. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the Belly of the Beast episode. When last we left, Paul Templer was at the bottom of the Zambezi River in the mouth of a hippo. So I'm pinned inside his mouth, and I remember lying at the bottom. We were probably in about six feet of water. And I just remember thinking, like, huh, I wonder who can hold their breath the longest. And I'm not sure how long we stayed there. But I can tell you that time passes very slowly when you're lying there in the jaws of a submerged hippo. After what seemed like an eternity, the hippo sprang towards the surface and flung me away yet again. This time when I broke surface and looked up, I saw the front of Mac's little red crocodile bait kayak. In just one of the most incredible demonstrations of bravery, Mac had paddled his kayak in and um, was trying to get me to safety. Held on for dear life as the hippo thrashed on me, thrashed on the boat, thrashed on Mac, and somehow, miracle of miracles, he, uh, he managed to get us to the, this pile of rocks. And relative safety, the hippo couldn't get up onto the rocks. I remember getting to the rocks and looking across and counting one, two, three, four, five, six. All the clients were there, I was like, good. I remember trying to reassure them, all right, folks, you need to calm down. Everything's going to be okay. And them just looking at me. None of them could believe that I was still alive. I remember saying to Mac, Mac, where's Evans? And Mac just looking me square in the eye and going, he's gone, mate. He's gone. But again, my mind was in survival mode, and it was, okay, we need to do X, Y, and Z. Okay, first aid kit, gun, radio, all gone. We've got a guy missing. I'm a hot mess. We've got six clients sitting on rocks in the middle of the crocodile-infested Zambezi River. And by the time anyone missed us and had mobilized a search and rescue team, it would be dark, and their chances of finding us would be pretty slim. So my, my plan was, okay, Load me into one of the canoes. Mac, you're going to stay here with the clients. Ben, you're going to paddle me. We're going to follow the current, and we can get to our extraction point and call in a rescue team. As I'm speaking, along with my words, blood starts bubbling out of my mouth. So Mac kind of half rolled me over, and he's like, oh, crikey. He could see basically part of my lung through a gaping hole in my back where a tusk had gone through. So he took the plastic cover from a tray of snacks 
And uh, he used that to seal the wound. It, it was incredible. <laughs> he stopped my lung from collapsing and me from dying right there on the spot. He tore up his brand new jungle green safari shirt into thin strips and he would stem the bleeding in some areas and tie off other areas. My one arm was so badly trashed um, from the elbow up, it had been crushed to a pulp. And from the elbow down, the bone had been broken in so many places and the skin, there was very little skin left on it. I think the technical term is degloved. But Mac figured out, okay, let's roll down your sleeve, button it up and see if we can keep the arm attached. I remember getting loaded into the canoe and he just eased the canoe out into the current. I'm lying in the canoe and it's filling with a combination of my blood and more water. And the pain was just coming in, in waves. This is when death kind of started showing up. This hippo that's attacked us is toying with us. It's coming and bumping up against the canoe and making its little calls nearby. Each time it hits our boat, I get more and more terrified. And I, I'm saying to Ben, I can't do this again, Ben. And I, I want him to paddle fast. It feels like he's paddling in slow motion. And then I remember things just going really calm. This was... This was a deeper, a more profound, a more surreal experience. It, dare I say it was a spiritual experience. There came this moment where I realized I had a choice. Do I shut my eyes and drift off and call it a day? Or do I fight my way through this and try to stick around? And, I, and it's not that I could see my life flashing before my eyes, but I just had the sense that there was more still to be done. I remember going, no, I'm going to stick around. We made it to the shore. And it turned out there was a medical air rescue team practicing less than five minutes away from me. They came beetling along thinking that it was part of a practice. And they took me into the hospital in the ambulance. I finally get to the hospital. It's eight hours later. And um, they put me on this um, operating table. Big bright lights, so I can't see anyone, but I can hear them. They're like talking about how my arms are barely still attached, how I'm gonna lose limbs. Turns out I had 38 major bite wounds. Uh, I had a tusk go through my foot. The hippo tusk has gone through both my shoulders and separated them. My spine was open, my head was open, my face, it, it, it was not looking pretty. Um, the doc comes up and he told me the story later on. When he came in and he looked at all my injuries, the surgery that made sense was take off both of my arms and the bottom of one of my legs. That was probably gonna have the best chance of me surviving. I looked him in the eye and I said to him, doc, I know that you're gonna do what you gotta do, but why do you say you take the minimalist approach? Post-surgery, I can remember laying there and my eyes opening and being like kind of confused as to where I was. And I remember stealing myself and looking for my left hand because I knew that had been the side that had been hit the hardest. And I looked across and there was nothing there. There was no elbow. There was no forearm. There was no hand. There was no moving fingers. Even though I could feel them, it was all gone. And there was 
there, there was a lot of despair. It was just, was nauseating. And so I kept my eyes wide and I remember saying a prayer and then I looked and could see the fingers on my right hand and I moved them. I, I'm incredibly relieved. There's this like big cage over my legs and not a lot of movement coming from down there. I didn't want to look, but at the same time I needed to know what was left of me. The nurse who was in control, it was kind of like she could read my mind. So she went and with great aplomb, kind of like a magician, she just whipped back the sheet. And there at the bottom of each leg was two feet. And granted, the one foot was really mangled, but all of my toes were still attached. Evans, the chap who I was trying to save, they found his body three days after the attack. There wasn't a scratch on him. He drowned. I felt guilty because Evans, my guide, his safety and well-being had been my responsibility and now he was dead. It was easy for me to blame the hippo. Um, but as time went by, I got stronger and I couldn't shake Dr. Nube's words. That's happened, I get to choose what happens next. I think the hippo almost became almost became a talisman. Interesting part of the story, they never could find that hippo again. Gone, 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 gone. They spent days, weeks looking for him. Disappeared. Now the river I'd been attacked on had never been canoed from source to sea. A lot of people had tried it, but today no one had succeeded. So I put together a team and I found someone who could build me a kayak paddle that I could strap onto one arm so I could paddle a kayak again. And about two years after my run-in with the hippo, set off leading what I hoped was going to be the first full descent of the Zambezi River. It was closing a loop. And about halfway down, we get to the point where the attack had happened. When out of the water comes this hippo, jaws agape, tearing straight at me, bites down in the water right next to me. I, I was absolutely, I, I couldn't believe that this had happened again. And just saying, it was an abnormally large male hippo who looked surprisingly like the one who had attacked me two years earlier. He showed his teeth and he bit down on the water, but he did nothing more. He, he, he got the last word. No hippos have been seen in that area since. Big thanks to Paul Templer for sharing his story. He wrote a book about his life called What's Left of Me, How I Lost a Fight with a Rogue Hippo and Won My Life. We'll have a link at snapjudgment.org. That story, the original soundtrack, performed, composed, created by Renzo Gorio. The story was produced by Erica Lance. Now then, Snap Judgment was produced by the team that always goes all in, even up, for the Uber producer, Mr. Mark Ristich, Pat Masini-Miller, Anna Sussman, Erica Lance, Renzo Gorio, Eliza Smith, Leon Morimoto, Adiza Egan, Liz Mack, Taylor Ducat, John Facile, Nancy Lopez, 
Jasmine Aguilera. Because this is not the news. No way this news. In fact, you could put your head into the hippo's maw for the big finale, only to realize that you forgot to feed him today. Whoops. And he would still, still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is WNYC. Thank you.